Hello, everybody, and again, thank you, Janet Lee, from that selection of very old songs, some of them going back to 1700-plus and 1800s. Wow, what a collection. And the plane, well, we get a lot of letters, and I thank you for those letters, folks. And uh, it's just A-plus, Janet. And hello, everybody. We are happy to invite you back on board again for the starship that is called the Bright and Morning Star. God bless you. Today, we want to imbue into the words by the Spirit of God, we want to make available the healing for people who fight migraine headaches. There are a lot of people that suffer, and they suffer awful from having constant migraine headaches. And unless you've had migraine headaches, you can't imagine what a painful, distractive, terrible suffering that that is. So we just want to tell you this is the message God has given us for today for people that are suffering uh, that God is imbuing into this word as I speak this teaching of manifest profound things. Oh, God, just praise you and thank you for your healing power. Just reach out and touch and heal these, these people through these words. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. All right. Here we go. Now, we know from the Bible that anyone can read what the Bible says, but not everyone can understand what the Bible is saying. Paul the Apostle called it looking through a glass darkly and only being able to know or to understand in part. Jesus said that he spoke in parables because it was not given for everyone to understand. The Bible speaks out and persons Having eyes, it exclaims, sometimes cannot see. And people having ears sometimes cannot hear. Now what it is saying is that these people are not necessarily blind in a physical sight type of way or deaf in a physical hearing type of way, but there is a spirit blindness because every human being is a compound being, and they consist of both spiritual or spirit and body physical. So the body is physical, the spirit is not physical. But the Bible is clear. The spirit that you have is like an instrument, being the candle of the Lord, searching out the deep things of God. So the Bible tells us that the spirit has a mind as well as the brain has a mind. And there is a connection in the little bulb at the end of each synaphysis, synaphysis of the brain called the bouton. And in that bouton, which scientists and even brain uh, surgeons and, and, and psychologists psychiatrists and those people that are profound in, 
in uh, searching the biology and the works uh, uh, anatomy-wise of the brain, uh, they have still not discovered. There is a very interesting teaching. I've done teachings on that. We'll do teachings again. And so these people that are blind and these people that are deaf spiritually are not re receptors of having the message from the Bhutan, from the mind that connects with that part of the brain, the mind of the spirit, that is, connecting with that part of the brain, that Bhutan, that little bulb at the end of the synaphysis, there being not a leak, then they become blind and become deaf to what the Word of God is saying because the Spirit is not bearing witness with the physical, biological, and spiritual linking that they are truly sons and daughters of God and that they are truly interested in the kingdom of God the way that they need to be interested to receive these deep and profound things. So may God heal any of you people out there that are just hearing partially and hearing seeing partially. May he heal you and open up this word of God and just baptize you in the spirit of knowledge. Wow. So the Bible records that Jesus Christ taught that the Holy Spirit was going to be sent, called the Comforter. Now, what does that really, really mean, to be comforted by the Holy Spirit? It means that there is obviously something hurting. There is obviously a pain of confusion. There is obviously a distortion that needs to be destroyed. There's obviously disinformation that needs to be eliminated. And the comforter is the Holy Spirit that is being sent to deliver us from that darkness and that pain of darkness. So when the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will come, and it is further exclaimed in other books of the Bible that the Holy Spirit will lead and guide the recipients that receive this Holy Spirit into all truth. Then that is a double statement. On the one hand, it is a statement of an actuation, of an actuation that is an event that is potential to happen to those who receive this Holy Spirit. But opposite of that, and part of it, is that the fact that the Holy Spirit is necessary, and Jesus made it necessary, he says, if I do not go away, then the Holy Spirit cannot come. Therefore, he said, it's necessary for me to go away, and he's talking about taking his physical body away, that there would eventually be 
a misunderstanding of worshipping the physical body rather than worshipping the inner person. And that that had to go away because the revelation had to come from the Spirit. And Jesus, he, he put a, a peak of accent on that when he said, the day will come they will neither worship in one spirit of doc in one pardon in one mountain of doctrine or another mountain of doctrine. That he said is not the plan. That is not the way. But he says the day is coming that they that really are worshiping God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so when you understand that getting into God is getting into spirit. Because God, the ultimate God, the invisible God, is spirit. God is a spirit. Wow. So the very fact that it says that the Holy Spirit will lead and guide people into all truth is the forensic evidence that the people who have not the Holy Spirit and haven't received it, have not entered into all truth because they do not have the clarity to be able to see it without having the inset of the Holy Spirit. And that being true, then it's true on a, on a earthwide global scale that these people who are all around the globe with all their different religiosities, do not have the truth in its wholeness, in its completeness. It's like Paul said, for the, we look through a glass darkly, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but one day when that part is done away with, then we will have the whole. That's the word of God. That's the revelation of God. That's the will of God. That's the excitement that is potentially waiting for every person who will allow this Holy Spirit to function in you. By the gift of the Holy Spirit comes the gift of interpretation. Now, in some of the Pentecostal churches, and God knows I am not knocking them in any way, they have, um, they have brought a lot to the table of Christianity. Just like a lot of other groups, Baptists, Methodists, Episcopalian, Catholics, they've all given something. And the people that go around knocking denominations... That's so sad. And there's a lot of other groups that I haven't mentioned. You know, some of these groups that are in communities, they have offered a lot, lot to the Christian faith. And the ladder that leads up to the highest heights as it is described in Genesis 
in this story about Jacob. It had rungs on it. And that meant it had lower heights and it had higher heights. And that there was a progression going up that ladder and a progression coming down that ladder. So that we understand that in some of our teachings of the 30-fold, the 60-fold, and the 100-fold depth of revelation. So that when the Bible says there are deep things of God, then we begin to understand that there can't be deep things without there being things that are levels above it because what makes something deep is the measurement from the the level of the surface down to where that deepness ends. That, was, that is what describes the deep. And there are 30-fold, and there are 60-fold, and there are 100-fold. So the Holy Spirit is available to do these wonderful things. And we wonder why. Why people just do not catch on. Why they just don't know some of the things. Well, they just need more Holy Spirit. They need more Holy Spirit. Praise be the name of God. God wants you to be separated from disinformation and incorrect interpretations. And speaking of interpretation, I was starting to lean into that. How that the Holy Spirit gives the gift of interpretation. And some people, some groups, and I started to say, especially like the Pentecostal groups, they basically think that interpretation refers to the interpretation of tongues, unknown tongues. But that is not the totality of what the Bible really teaches on that subject. It teaches us that there are tongues of angels. It teaches us that there are mysterious tongues. Tongues that actually can speak through us in a language that we do not understand, but uh, tongues that are actually praying for us. Because so many people, in fact, I think you could say the vast majority of the Christians and of the religiosity people don't know how to pray. But if they had, if they had this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would pray for them. The Bible says that. And then if you're ever to know any of these things, what the tongues of the angels are, what the tongues of the, of the mysteries are, what the tongues of, of you know, the unknown or, or, or unknown tongues, then you would need the gift of interpretation. And it could tell you all of these tongues because this gift of interpretation has to do with everything that is language. Everything and anything has to do with language of any kind, whether it's coded language, whether it's language of the hundredfold, of the of the sixtyfold, of the thirtyfold. This message that the Holy Spirit can relay to you via interpretation can tell you the all of the all. And even more so, it can translate to you 
the will of God, in the message of God, as to what the real message for your life is, and the real message for your destiny. And there's nothing less than sheer beautiful about that. Nothing less. Praise God. So, this Bible, this incredible Bible, has been overlooked because it has not been able to be read in its entirety. There is an invisible part that is in it, which is the spirit part. Because the letter itself, the Bible says, killeth. So the letter, which is the physical part, has death in it. And the only way it, it begins to have life is when the spirit in, enters it. And so that fulfills additionally the meaning of the scripture that says that the, the body without life is dead. For the body to have life, it has to have a spirit. Without a spirit, it's dead. So even animals that have bodies, the Bible says, have spirits. The difference is, is the spirits that they have are temporal, while the spirits that we as humans have are eternal because they pre-exist at this earth. Because we are fallen, failed messengers that have come to inhabit the materialism of this body. In order to be over, in order to be able to overcome some mistakes that we did, way way past, before this earth world, and that's why the Bible says in Romans that by one man, those mistakes, those sins, were brought into this world and made manifest, so that they could be understood for what they were, and the Bible does say that. You have to do a little bit of reading, but it's there, and I've quoted these scriptures before. So, we must never get burdened. We must never get discouraged when what appears to be a difficult word is difficult to understand because the Holy Spirit will bring that to you. And the Holy Spirit will cause a spirit of tutoring also. A spirit of tutoring that will break down these words, break down these definitions, break down the difficult passages, and feed it to you like milk until you are ready for the meat of the word. And that's the goodness of the basis of the Holy Spirit overshadowing. Now, the, the Bible offers antecedent suppositions. And someone might say, supposition? That's just something that is proposed. That is correct because something that is offered in the word is only 
in become only becomes ingrained in you after you partake of it and after you eat it. And Jesus, in his teaching of transassimilation, tried to show people you if you want to go to the kingdom of God, you must eat my flesh and you must drink my blood. Now the life of the blood in this instance was representing the spirit because the body without the spirit is dead. And the flesh was representing the mortal man. But the Bible tells us that this thing of life by the spirit is even what makes plants and and fit the physical bodies of of animals to be alive and the difference is that the scripture says the spirit of the beast goes downward which means it's temporal but the spirit of man goes upward which means it is eternal and that's true someone says well that's not true because if you go to hell, you don't have eternal life. Well, you poor little thing. You must have not had a surge of the Holy Ghost. Because if you had had a surge of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost would have brought you into the, all the truth. And you would have been able to understand that the Bible teaches that even people in what they call hell, and of course there's a lot of meaning to that. That's not our teaching today. But even people in the hell are there eternally. And so if you're there eternally and cognizant of it eternally, whatever all of that means, and we, will, we have and we'll teach more on it, then you have eternal life whether you go to heaven or hell. What the difference is is the quality of that life. And that's major. So... As we get into understanding this and the, the propositions of antecedent, antecedents or the proposition of futuristic youth, they all belong to the same circuit. And when we say circuit, that's because it goes around and around. Sometimes you are like an ancient person wearing white linen cloth whose hair is woolly white. And other times you are just being born like a little baby in a manger. Well, what is the basis for which we can believe the Bible? You know, there is a basis of inference. It infers a lot of things. And you could say it's historical. A lot of people would challenge that. But they can't really challenge it the way that I'm going to present it here in a minute or two. It is specifically historical. If not by the actual subject and story, 
it is historical because of the long years of his public and religious existence of written statements. So someone says, well, I don't believe those stories in there. So that's not historical to me. So, well, but do you admit that these writings of the Torah, these writings of the prophets and the priests, go back into time a long, long ways? Do you believe that? Surely you do, if you've done any study. And they will have to admit, if they're honest, they'll have to admit that, yeah, no, this, these books and these writings have been available for a long, long, long time. So that in that sense, they are historical. Well, where people have problems with the Bible is once again not understanding it. Because when they read the Bible and they read about God's people Israel marching 10,000 of their captives through a, a fire kiln with soldiers standing on either side of the line of people going through the kiln with the special kind of of hack blades that can chop a leg off like nothing or a head off like nothing if they refuse to march on through the, the kiln, the brick kilns. And that's in the Bible. Or the 10,000 people that they brought to the Sela Rock. And at the height of of Petra, which is the new name for it, they cast off ten thousands of these people to fall on the sharp rocks below. And a person says, my God, is this God? Is this the Bible? No, that's not God. And of course you evidently don't understand the Bible. See, the Bible has been written by human beings in almost every instance, with but few exceptions, as represented by the people. Moses, who is said to have written the Torah, he started off his ministry by killing an Egyptian. But before that, that wasn't the first person he had killed. He was a soldier. He was in Pharaoh's army. He was in Pharaoh's family. And he went up to Ethiopia. And there's a whole story of that in, in history. And Moses was who he was. Even the people that provided his safety for him when he fled from the Pharaoh. Later, he turned on them and practically decimated 
the whole tribe. But Moses was a human, a mortal. He was not God. And all the signs that he did was done by God, and even th some of them he didn't do the way God wanted him to do it. Like the case at the water of the rock, where instead of just speaking the word, which is very important, he took his rod and hit in anger the stone because he was angry at the people. So he did the miracle out of anger instead of out of love. Because Moses was a man, a human, a mortal. And so he represented God, though, and there, are, there have been pagans out there that represented God. And there have been Christians who were in some ways very much like pagans. The Catholics who tormented and did tear upon some of the Protestants. And the Protestants who tormented and did tear upon some of the Catholics. Well, they were representing God, and they still do today. But they were not presenting the gospel in the spirit of love. They were presenting the gospel in the spirit of arrogance. So once a person begins to understand that, then what do you expect to find in a lot of the Bible? Well, you expect to find wars and rumors of wars. You expect to find people being cruel because their bodies have a lot of beast in them, which is a predatorial aspect. But they represent God by all the various degrees, but none of them perfectly. Well, who on earth was the most perfect image of God? Jesus Christ. That's why we have to look to Jesus Christ and what Jesus taught and his Holy Spirit that he promised that would come in lieu of him into our hearts. And by the Holy Spirit, he is in our heart. And by the Holy Spirit, we speak the purer word but it must come through the filter of the Holy Spirit or we get a lot of disinformation clogging up the circuit ways. So, it is a Bible that is historical just from the fact that it was been written so long ago. And there is something that is real and true about a book that is written just the way that it is. Even the name Israel 
specifically interpreted from the roots of its meaning, means a people representing God. And so this God is represented revelation is major to understand the Bible. If you look into the Bible to find fault, you will find it. Because a lot of it is a story about mortals. And they're full of faults. And like David, one thing about him I think that God loved is he was so forthright to confess what a messed up mortal that he was much of the time. So then we have this wonderful thing about the Bible. It is specifically historical, but it is also historically superb in the sense that the ingrained statements, when once they are able to be drawn out by the Holy Spirit, are able to bring forth knowledge, are able to bring forth revelation that is so sensational that it staggers the imagination of the mortal. And we have B.C. as a calendar, before Christ. And it's so neat that it was made that way. Things that happened before Christ as of that date of the coming of Christ. And then we have A.D. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And that began roughly in year one. Although Christ may not have been born for several years later. It still was denoted that way. Because his coming was so actual actual of prominence that it was like a virtual a virtual reality of his already being there the year of our lord so we've got before christ and we got the year of our lord we're in that ad so in a way it's like before christ was born and after Christ died and was resurrected and sent the Holy Spirit. Because that really becomes the year of our Lord to us. And Jesus just as much says that. He brings us into his resurrection. He brings us into his, his life. He brings us into his promises. He, he calls us brethren. We, we are a part of all his connections with the Father. And it's because of his love. I know this may seem like a simplistic story, but it needed to be said just the way that I, I've said it. Because without understanding it that way, we just can't make the progress we have to make. So, 
We're going to get into some interesting things here, but we're going to take a break in a few minutes. And I want to point out a lot of things that we've been preaching on and where it's coming from and where it's going. So why don't you just sit back and listen to Janet Lee as she begins to bring some wonderful songs. I had one gentleman wrote me and he says, hey, I was singing those songs. I was amazed that I still remembered them. I even remembered the words. I so appreciate Janet Lee and her pipe organ playing. Well, of course, it's not a really a pipe organ. It's just a spinet organ blessed with the Holy Spirit. Janet Lee.
Oh, thank you. Thank you, Janet, again. Wow. So, the important things about the Bible is that it carries the history of that which was and that which is and that which is to come. And one of the interesting is-to-come things, which also has the history to it, is the fact that Jesus taught, as is revealed through John in chapter 10 and verse 16, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also. Now that word also is a very determinate word. I'm making it almost like a personification. I have sheep which are not of this fold. Now, if you follow the ministry of Jesus while he was on earth, the thing that was talked about was Abraham and the children of Abraham. And that was the fold. And the Bible tells us that Abraham's going to have kings, and there's going to be Gentile. In fact, God changed his name from Abram to Abraham because his name was to now incorporate not just the children of Israel, but the seed of people from the whole world that would become part of the Abrahamic fold. And it specifically makes it clear these are people on earth. But then we find out, by the Holy Spirit revelation, that there are other sheep not of the Abrahamic fold. And when he comes again, he says, I must bring them. And they shall hear my voice. And what does he mean there? They are going to be part of hearing, being involved with this message in which the angels are going to preach the everlasting gospel from the skies. And the result of that is that although the former rain has been poured out moderately upon the earth, God is going to pour out the former and the latter rain in one incredible instance so that the former rain people will be those who have received like the firstborn revelation and then they will begin to teach and bring out the message to those that are going to be in the latter rain understanding so that then the first and the last will be joined together in the Alpha and the Omega oneness. And that's chapter 10, verse 16 of John. And then chapter 14 of John, the Gospel of John, says, Let not your heart be troubled. This is quite a revelation. Because there are a lot of people called Christians who are 
very troubled. They have troubled hearts. And God is revealing these things so that people can understand that they do not need to be troubled. God does not want you to be troubled. Let not, let not your heart be troubled. Heart, the seat of your emotions. The reality that is the finest and most equivocal part of your physical body that connects the brain messages via the boutons that I just told you about connected to the synaphysis to the heart. And there is a connection from the spirit. Let not your heart be troubled. It is time to eliminate impetition. It is time to eliminate the causations of the troubled seas. There's a quickening that God is bringing to his people. And I believe that in this broadcast today, there is imbued in addition to the healing wave for people with these migraine headaches, there is imbued a spirit of quickening. Let not your heart be troubled. And then here's something incredible. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And someone will say, well, I thought that Jesus was God. Well, there's, the, there's God the Father. There's God the Son. Jesus got in trouble for just saying he was the Son of God. He had to do quite an explanation. But there's something else here. Because we don't just eradicate the transference of the things that Jesus did only to the Spirit. Because the Bible says that if we refuse to believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, then we, are, we belong to the clan of the Antichrist. You can't refuse to believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. If you negate that and only put it into the spirit, then you negate the whole plan of God in the mortal and the plan for the deliverance of all humans who live in the mortal. So believe in God, the spirit, believe in God, manifested in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God, and the Word was made flesh. In my Father's house are many mansions, don't let your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
if there was no such physical place, I would have told you, I want you to believe in God, in the Spirit, but I want you to also believe in me, the Son of Man, with a fleshly body. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. And whither I go you know, and the way you know, <laughs> because it's been planted in you. Way down deep you know it. And, and this is an exclamation about the physical Jesus, the Son of Man. He's going to prepare a place. He's certainly not talking about the first domain, the heaven of heavens, because everything is perfect there and it can never be changed from that perfection. There can be nothing that is unfinished. In fact, even the new souls that just be, are birthed into new souls do not go into the first domain. They go into the outer fringes of the first domain. And until their total cycle is finished and completed as to the ministry that has to be done to, to have a soul, then they stay in the fringe. <coughs> Praise God. And so this aspect of the Father's house is definitely a physical place. And guess what? We've given you Bible proof. I'm not saying that we've given you every scripture that we will be giving you, but we've given you enough to establish the Father's house is a physical planet. We showed you in the scripture in the book of Revelation that the ark, which is a physical ark, the ark of the covenant, the Bible says that John saw it in heaven. And we know now, and I'll explain later, and so I won't say too much, but in just a little bit I'll explain it, that that heaven also describes a physical place. So we have that proof of the physical. We also have I've shown you the scripture that says that a new, new temple called Jerusalem is going to ascend from heaven. Once again, from heaven, from the Father's house, it's a physical, physical temple. It's going, to, it's, it's going to be huge. We call it a planetome. It's going to descend and become the new Jerusalem. Proof two. Heaven, meaning heaved up, which I explained to you last week, which is speaking of a cosmic process of creation. Now, interestingly, even the heaven of heavens has the application of that word heaved up from a spiritual sense rather than a physical, but still has it, and here's why. The Holy Manifest teaches that there was a time when God lived among the creation of his own mind 
and the creation of the entities within his own mind that were part of him. And then as that first essence and energy went out from him outside of his environment of mind and began a new creation, which the first new creation was called the Gogs and the Magogs, that he dwelt among them. But in the course of time, as there began to be so dis much disruption and so much envy, the Holy Manifest teaches that he heaved himself up and created the first domain, the heaven of heavens, totally separated forever from all of his creations until they overcame to the point that they could enter that first domain with him. Praise be the name of God. So, a planet, heaven, is described in Genesis 1, 6 through 8, having a firmament. Consequently, even a physical paradise or a physical planet are sometimes called heaven as a place of life where the firmament or the atmosphere can sustain life with the right kind of elements and of course as regards humans being provided with oxygen and water making such a planet a haven or a heaven. So the Father's house can be called heaven as a haven due to its alignments with the Little and Big Dippers and its alignments to the star Arturus by or of Buotis, a great, we'll call it constellation. And therefore, how that a planet due to its alignments with that, which is the Father's house, can be called Artura, not Arturus. The star is called A-R-C-T-U-R-U-S, Arturus. But the planet, the Father's house, is called A-R-C-T-U-R-U-S. U-R-A, Artura. All right, now. The Father's house is physical. And not spiritually perfect. Do you get that? It's not spiritually perfect. Jesus, after the resurrection, tells his disciples... He is leaving for the Father's house to go to prepare a place for them. Obviously not in a perfect state, such as the first domain, because work must be completed for the disciples and also must be completed at the Father's house, Artura, for that purpose. We have given you scriptures of this. We have laid out 
scriptural support to establish this doctrine. We've got the scripture of John 14, 1, 10, the scripture of chapter 10, verse 16, that we just read to you earlier. And then we've given you the example of in Matthew 24 of how that Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And how that this was talking about the rapture that was to come in which there would be a meeting in the air and the angels of God would gather uh, the, the, the overcomers together. We've shown you that as it was in the days of Noah, it, it happened that way. We recently did a dialogue with you on from my mouth to your mind of Psalm 68, 17 through 18, connected with Ephesians 4, 8 through 10, connected to 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22, and 1 Peter 4 through uh, four, five through six. And this was where Jesus descends into upper Hades and leads, leads the cap captive into captivity. This is appropriate to understand two ways. People, as described in Peter, the book of Peter, that were spirits in upper Hades, a place called paradise, because there was still a proposition there of, of hope. It wasn't the deepest hell or the deepest Hades. And they had the opportunity to yet be regenerated. And in Peter, it basically says that so that they would receive, re, be able to, as though they were in a body, and being in a body, live by the Spirit, which is what we're supposed to do. Although we're in bodies, we're supposed to be living in the Spirit. So that Ephesians and Psalms emphatically then does teach this whole thing about those that were captive being in bodies and those that were yet yeah, spirits going to be regenerated into physical bodies and still be captive, that these captives were going to be taken into captivity still so that when they went to the Father's house, they would still be their spirits captive in a physical mortal body. Captivity captive. Because that work of the body had to be completed. And then, if you're into the Septuagint, which you really should have some knowledge of that, the word Septuagint means 70. And there were 70 at least, and maybe 72 or 3 or whatever, but it was all in the, in the number 70, scholars, top scholars, that were chosen to translate the Hebrew Bible into Greek. 
And this was the Bible that was very active in the days of, of, of the early apostles of the church. And it's interesting that in that Septuagint, that it says in there that Methuselah, the son of Enoch, lived after the flood. Now there are people who say, oh, well, you see, now that's just a mistake. Well, why do they say that? Because they're into disinformation and they're trying, they're trying to help the Bible. They're trying to help the Bible. Oh, we've got a conflict here. <laughs> well, let's blame it on the Septuagint Bible. Uh, they just didn't have it quite right. But there are things revealed in the Septuagint that were sort of jiggled out of the King James and some of the other books because it couldn't be understood doctrinally. That's why it's good sometimes to be able to weigh the difference. Had they understood that Methuselah did not die, did not die at the flood, he became earth dead in the sense that he was no longer on earth, just like his father Enoch. Although his father never died and Methuselah never died because one way or the other in different times they were carried up from the earth in zits to the father's house. Wow. We've given you proof, ladies and gentlemen. We've given you proof of these things that we're teaching. We've talked about <clears throat> last week some interesting things. We talked about how that Satan is not allowed to come down and manifest himself bodily on the earth. They're penalized because they refuse to take physical bodies except by possession. So they can come down as a spirit and possess, but they cannot come down and take a physical body. A physical body, when it comes and is manifested, like some of the angels that took physical bodies, because they had physical bodies, but sometimes they transformed into different, different styles. So when the, the angel comes down to the Ethiopians, he would come in a, a black body, black-skinned body, and he would speak Ethiopian to them. He didn't come down in a Greek body and speak Greek. And when he appears to the Spanish people, he comes down in a Spanish body and speaks Spanish. And many times these are a photo transition and a photo translation of the angel who is in the form, whatever form that he is, which is a physical form, but with his total characteristics to be able to, to do as Jesus did, take on other forms, which the Bible describes that in the 16th chapter of Mark. 
the angels of Lucifer are not allowed to do that. They are blocked from that. But what they are allowed to do is to send messages from the firmament, from the heavens, to the minds of people that are empty-headed of the gospel, empty-headed of the truth, and to begin to put ideas in there and thoughts in there and experiences in there, <clears throat> the which that they begin to believe to such an extent because they they have received a false impression that becomes a false memory, and the memory is so real that they cannot differentiate that it did not actually happen. Now, is there any Bible for this? Well, of course, there, there is. And, and Lucifer's angels or demons or whatever you want to call them are not the only ones that do that. And there are all kinds of scriptures. Like, for instance, in Genesis 22, 22 15, verse 15, as I say, and the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself I have sworn, and then he goes on for verses of speaking, verses 16 through verse 18, And he's speaking to Abraham, who is standing on earth. And he's speaking to him from out of heaven, from out of the firmament. And this big, long essay of instructions and blessing, because that Abraham was able to reach a place in his mind that he was willing to sacrifice his own son, which was never the will of God, but because he was willing to do it, God blessed him nevertheless. God, of course, by an angel spoke out, no doubt from the heavens, said, no, stop. Can you imagine that? That's the Bible? Was that the only place that that is written? Of course not. Just look at Revelations. Revelations 10, verse 8. Revelations 11, verse 16. Revelations 12, verse 10. Revelations 14, verse 2. And not only does it say that a voice spoke from heaven, it says voices. Revelations 14, verse 13. Revelations 16, verse 17. Revelations 21, verse 3. 2 Peter 1, verse 18. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. John, chapter 12, verse 28. And this is very interesting because this is where the Father, who is <laughs> from heaven, and he's actually talking all the way from the Father's house, speaks to Jesus all that distance. And Matthew 17, 5. And the voices on the Mount of Transfiguration, come out of a bright cloud. Clouds always being like the, the cumulus and the other kinds of clouds that are up in the sky, up in heaven. And it says, this is my beloved Son 
in whom I am well pleased, hear you him. And he spoke this to John and James and Peter. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Bible. And when we have been preaching these doctrines of trans, photo translation and photo transition, they are noted in the Bible. They are the Word of God. Humankind has understood things like telepathy, being able to read other people's minds or to send a message from one mind to another, but only in the most skin-deep way. They have not been able to understand it in the utter terrific sense in which advanced angels who have lived from universe to universe to universe, they are ancients of days not days of 24 hours, I assure you. But incorporately included, yes. This is Bible, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Word of God. And it is backed by the, by the Bible. Now, we know that we have been ministering to you about star time. And we have shared with you that this star time is ultimately important for being able to understand the longevity of the earth. And understanding this longevity of the earth is really, really important because the Bible does teach, as I re keep repeating in Isaiah chapter 51, that from the foundations of this, this earth we are going to go out into space and we're going to plant the heavens. And in fact, it does teach that there are human beings already out there, human beings. It teaches us in Revelation. There was no man either in heaven or beneath the sea or beneath the earth or on earth that was able to open the book and to loosen the seals thereof. The Bible is clear of these things. And so... We understand and we know, if you follow these teachings, according to the second chapter of Genesis, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. 
And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. These. These? What is these? These, when you understand continuity, when you understand following the dispensation of words given contextually, that contextuality-wise, these represent the verses that were just described ahead. Prior said, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them And when was this? Verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens. Not heaven, not just our firmament, but heavens. And of the earth, and the earth, when they were created in the day that God made the earth and the heavens. These are generations. Now, when you begin to understand that word yom, how versatile it is, how spread out in time it is, it's so important. And then you begin to read. And thank God. Thank God for the Peace Manifest Bible that's coming up the road. One of these days, it'll be coming up the road. One of these days, you'll be able to have it to read. Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the name of God. The ark is coming up the road. God has a plan. And that plan is not going to be stopped because God is going to deliver his people. And the revelations that is in this book is sensational. Just absolutely sensational. For instance, the first verse reads, in principle, Manifold God had created the heavens and its matter. In principle. Manifold God. In, in, instead of saying God with a capital G-O-D, but saying it by translating the word Elohim, which is a plural word, which some people like to put the small g onto, for gods. And there being, there being reasons that you could give for why, by accentuating the verb and, and 
the pronoun, that the way that it was used, it was modified to make it a singular word, therefore the deity God. And there would be ways, there would be ways of using contextual scripture to show beyond a shadow of a question of a doubt that the word was really about the angels, about the gods. Because that's what the word is. And if they wanted to be specific and show only the singularity of God, they could have easily used Eloha instead of Elohim. But now the manifester solves that problem through the Holy Manifest. Not a revelation of his own, but a revelation from the Holy Spirit through Gabriel the angel. And so instead of saying the Elohim as gods or the Elohim as God, it says in principle, manifold God, capital G. Manifold God, therefore, incorporates both the Elohim and the Eloah. And there's a hyphen between manifold and God. Manifold God. And then in the Bible, it shows you how beyond any doubt that the word is actually past tense and why it has to be past tense in which it says, in principle, manifold God had, H-A-D, past tense, created the heavens and its matter. And then in verse 2, it says, but the matter, having lost its form, was in ruins, its mass imprisoned in the space of darkness. Be speaking, therefore, of this high density of which the Bible in many other places describes as the heavens being rolled together as a scroll. And then at different times, at least about five or six times in the Bible, it talks about God stretching out this scroll and it becoming the, the full universe again. It's a continuing thing. Every time that one universe ends and becomes a, a high-density rolled scroll, then eventually it's stretched out again and becomes a new universe. And in the Peace Manifest Bible, it gives all the description, all the description of the, the grammar, the language, the Hebrew roots, to show how that this verse 2, but the matter having lost its form was in ruins is mass imprisoned in the space of darkness. Therefore, a manifold God spirited the original energies by brooding over them. And then you can see why that some people could look into this by this kind of translation and come up with what they call the gap theory, which uh, a, a priest, I believe it was, came up with this idea when evolution was beginning to really get known in about the 1800s. But the gap uh, theory just doesn't work out. It just has too many, too many errors and faults in it, too many problems. We do not teach the gap theory. 
The gap theory basically says that during this time when the earth was all put and run and everything, before the actual creation that the earth now is, that Satan had done all of that. But Satan was not Satan because we have a perfect schedule of how this happened described in, in various parts of the Bible. And when you put it together, it tells a story and it gives you a time sequence. So that Satan did not become Satan during a period that was prior to the creation. Didn't exist as Satan. Lucifer existed. And Lucifer didn't fall till a much later time. He actually was the covering angel. He was a cherub, the covering angel. And some of the things that he was doing, <coughs> like this thing how that the Bible teaches in Matthew, <coughs> that the tares, or we could say genetic change of plan, genetic indifference, was, was woven into the creations. That didn't happen until the longest day of creation, the fifth generation. Now, this Bible, the Holy Manifest, explains that. And it explains how that, that the angels are allowed to interrupt the soundtrons of their own accord by conveying the message of interpretation that Lucifer is putting into the codes of creation for the creationist. And this is all happening on the fifth day, and we have the scripture and everything to show that, which I don't have the time here today for sure. But as to magnitudes of brightness, Jesus Christ is the bright and morning star. But that bright is talking about the magnitudes. And Lucifer, his name is also the, you know, the morning star. And why? Because he stole that name from the office of the bright and morning star, Yaviel, when he was assigned to be the covering angel for Yaviel, and he took over that office, he also became the morning star. So he is called the morning star. That's what the name Lucifer actually means. And Jesus Christ is called the morning star. And that will one day be settled but it's not going to be settled until the white throne judgment. And when the white throne judgment happens, all of the, the seven universes as represented by one angel representing the plural of all and each universe is going to be sitting at that, that throne, that white throne judgment and going to be making the decision and settling the score whether what Lucifer did was wrong or whether he did was right or to how offensive that was and to the degree of punishment. That has not happened yet, no matter what anyone wants to say. 
Someone says, well, no, that's not true. Satan was put in, Satan was put in, into hell. Uh, you need to reread it, read it, and write it again in your memory. Revelation chapter 9 says that he's put into this bottomless pit, and he's been given the key to it. That means he can come and he can go. And certainly there's limitations where he can, he can, he can go to. And when some of the other spirits that were there saw him coming, they said, how can this be? Are you coming down with us? And you can just imagine, he said, don't worry about it. I'm going to turn this place that you call hell into heaven. And I'm going to begin the greatest manufacturing output that's ever happened anywhere. And I'm going to create new kinds of Zams. And I'm going to create a new kind of people. And he did all of those things. And the furnace of smoke was an example of the rush and the power and the energy and the incredible variety of what was happening there. And then when he was ready, that smoke and that came up out of that pit and began to settling down on earth. And the Bible makes it clear that those locusts, those, those creations called locusts, but the Bible says they looked like humans. It does say that. So it's a different kind of a locust. It's a, it's a locust meaning like praying mantis type of locust. These were prophets that were false prophets. Ladies and gentlemen, there's Bible for all of this. There's Bible for those seven spirits of God and who they really are. And how that they're called the seven spirits of the churches. But the word for church, ecclesia, can mean saints, can mean a congregation can mean a group. Yes, it can mean a host. It can mean the people of an entire universe. And that's, in fact, what it did mean. So, we're coming to the end of this teaching. I've run out of time. And I wanted to get more into these billions of years of which the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 16. He made the stars also. He made them in addition, that's what that means, to the star called the sun. And God made two great lights, a greater light, which is the sun, to rule the day, and the lesser light, the moon, to reflect the sun, to rule the night. And he made the stars also. In addition, they were made and preceded the solar system. And the Holy Manifest tells us, tells us there was this great, incredible star. This incredible star called Astrodon. 
and the angels came from out of from out of another area of space and they shot special kind of atomic laser rays into that star and it fragmented and from that came the earth the planets and it says that this star was astrodon was so unusual that different parts of it had elements that other parts of it did not have it was so huge its variety of of substance was so diversified that what we have today is the result of that incredible action may god bless you and keep you cause his face to shine on you and may you out there with these terrible headaches just feel the healing surge of the holy spirit as it's healing you and healing you and healing you from day to day on and on god bless you we love you